Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Grab the stool, we'll pour one for you, and we're pouring one out for Elizabeth Warren as we uh, head to the Thursday Three Martini Lunch here. Good, bad, and crazy. And Jim, the field is getting narrower and narrower. It's just Joe and Bernie now, and Tulsi, because Tulsi, for some reason, refuses to quit. But uh, Elizabeth Warren, we said yesterday she had no reason to keep going. And officially, as of today, she is not going anymore. After 19 states and finishing no better than third in any of them, much more distant in others, uh, including a third-place finish in her home state of Massachusetts on Tuesday. According to USA Today, uh, in her call with staff, she said, quote, We didn't reach our goal, but what we have done together, what you have done, has made a lasting difference. It's not the scale of the difference we wanted to make, but it matters, and the changes will have ripples for years to come. Well, that remains to be seen, Jim, but our favorite, or I should say least favorite, HOA scold is no longer on the presidential campaign trail. Unfortunately, she still has a say in legislation that goes before the U.S. Senate. But, uh, Jim, this was uh, a candidate that everybody expected to be in the top tier. For the most part, she was technically in the top tier. She even surged to the front of the pack briefly last fall. But in the end, her inability to be authentic or even tell the truth on very simple things I think cost her the chance to be the nominee here. You know, Greg, I'm trying to think back when she was, when there was discussion about her being appointed to the consumer protection research bureau or whatever it was um, back in the early Obama years, I was vaguely aware of her, but I think the, the moment she really popped up on the radar screens of most conservatives was the infamous, you didn't build that comment. And later on, you know, this is in the 2012 Obama kind of echoed it on the campaign trail, you know, you didn't build that, somebody else made that happen. But she was the one who'd said that whole idea of, if your company uses roads, somehow you don't deserve all the profits you have, <laughs> right? And it was, this, it was this really broad stretched idea of what the government deserves credit for and what individual entrepreneurs and companies in the private sector deserve credit for. And this whole idea, like you, you get into this argument with some people, often online, in person, you get a better sense of them, of how crazy they are, and you tend to avoid them. Or they say, well, if you believe in firehouses, that's a form of socialism. Well, no, no, the <laughs> socialism cannot be a blanket term for any time a group of people do something together, because then it's meaningless, right? Then it's, you know, a backyard barbecue where everybody agrees to bring something is technically socialism, and it's not, right? This, they get into this, like, ludicrous stretching definition of these terms. And so, you know, uh, Warren kind of rose through the ranks. She took on Scott Brown. Uh, as much as I think a lot of Republicans are like, oh, you know, Scott Brown really shocked the world, and People seem to like him. Look, it's Massachusetts. He was always renting that seat. He was never good. He was never going to own it, so to speak. Uh, and she made him. And, you know, OK, bummer. She's in the Senate. It, it's kind of interesting because we talk about how unpopular Bernie Sanders is. There were people in the Obama administration who were not huge fans of Elizabeth Warren. I realize Tim Geithner is now the walking embodiment of crony capitalism and everything that... Uh, the folks on the left hate, but you know he was good enough for Obama, and and you know his attitude is that she was a you know shrill harpy who really never had any solutions, who always loved to complain from the sidelines. But clearly, she had figured out how to appeal to a particular demographic in the Democratic Party that is clearly very vocal in the media. Clearly, you know, very much the um, older professional, semi-technocratic 
uh, human resource department administrator, or as, as you put it, as you, you know, just nailed it, Greg, with that comparison of the homeowners association president. These people who are kind of busybody micromanaging, uh, believe everybody's business is their business. And there's a clearly group of people out there who look at, at, at Elizabeth Warren and said, that's yes, she is me. I am exactly like that. Uh, and I want a president who's just like that. The problem is there were just lots and lots of people who didn't want that. Elizabeth Warren's entire persona and style and worldview and the, the million and one plans, uh, they were all perfectly calibrated to appeal to folks like the New York Times editorial board. Unfortunately, the New York Times editorial board does not select the president. And it's full of a whole bunch of other people who looked at Elizabeth Warren and either liked her but didn't want to vote for her or maybe didn't like her at all, found her kind of annoying. I think it's very revealing that she not only finished third in Massachusetts, which is really, you know, really bad. Um, also, I went up and I checked. One third of women in Massachusetts voted for her. Now, this morning, I'm still seeing a sexism held her back. Sex, wait a minute. Whoa. When two thirds of women won't vote for you, that's an indication that it wasn't just big, mean, you know, patriarchal men holding you back. Clearly, women did not want you to be the next president. I think a good chunk of this goes back to the Native American stuff. I think it just it looked shady and like she had benefited from a system that was designed to help genuine minorities. And I think she had uh, her claim that Harvard never knew that they were touting her as a woman of color just does not make sense. I don't believe that in the slightest. Her explanations always seemed uh, shifty and unreliable and untrustworthy. She was actually just like always a bad candidate. There were a lot of people who wanted to persuade themselves otherwise, and they really didn't want to believe that she could be a bad candidate because she reminded them of themselves. And they want to believe that they're extremely likable people. We all want to be liked. And so when you hear that this person who reminds you of you isn't well-liked, Greg, it just sets off an enormous amount of anger. And I don't know about you, but I plan on spending the rest of the day just, you know, poking at that balloon all day long. <laughs> no, there's no doubt that once she started to fade after the fall that the media was doing their very, very best to uh, convince everyone that she was still very much in the thick of things and that, uh, yeah, sexism and other issues were the reason she couldn't get ahead. And in the end, Elizabeth Warren had a plan for everything except uh, how to actually get votes. And uh, oh. that didn't uh, ultimately work out too well for her. But uh Jim, she might have been the most important candidate in this race for Joe Biden, because not only did she completely take out Mike Bloomberg at the Nevada debate, and to some extent even again in South Carolina, but by hanging in an extra couple of days, you got to think she dented Bernie Sanders in as many as four states, including Texas, where Biden ends up the big winner. Uh, and uh, ultimately, that puts Biden in the driver's seat. So Elizabeth Warren, uh, you didn't win, but you uh, might be the Chris Christie of this race in taking out uh, a couple of people that might have otherwise done better. Yeah, and we should not, you know, the possibility of her being a you know, I don't know Treasury secretary or some other position in a Biden administration is not outside the uh, uh, realm of possibility here. So we should not uh, uh, you know, believe this is the end of Elizabeth Warren in American politics. You're right. I guess we can give a little bit of credit. I mean, Elizabeth Warren very rarely had bad debates, uh, separate from whether or not you, know, you or I liked her or, or the folks who kind of, you know, most of the folks who listen to this podcast. She always seemed prepared. She was completely prepared to decapitate uh, Mike Bloomberg, and it worked. She just, unfortunately, I, and if, if it really comes down to the idea that she had believed that Bernie wasn't going to run, and then Bernie chooses to run again, she was going to be the inheritor of all of his voters. And then, of course, you know, he chose to run and kept all of his voters in his pile and really kind of blocked the avenue of, of uh, advancement that she was expecting. You know, I, I, I sympathize. That really stinks. And maybe that was behind the strange accusation of Bernie Sanders' sexism early on. Um, however you want to characterize it, 
you know, it, it's a very interesting, you know, complicated relationship between the two. And so now that she's out, the attitude is like, well, okay, all of her voters are going to jump on Bernie's side. I'm not so sure about that. I have a feeling if you were voting for Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders, you knew about Bernie Sanders. And for whatever reason, he had not sealed the deal with you. And you liked her a little bit more. So we'll see how things shake out. But I don't think it's guaranteed. And I think it's interesting, at least as of this recording, the r- rumor is that she's not going to endorse, or at least not anytime soon, which I think could make, uh, both, you know, certainly would make the Sanders folks even angrier at her. Uh, I think that's uh, probably right. And now that the DNC has said that they're going to raise the debate threshold, which means Tulsi Gabbard isn't going to make the stage uh, on March 15th, it is what we predicted yesterday. It's going to be two old guys yelling at each other for two hours. So uh, good times. All right, let's move on to uh, our bad martini now. And this has uh, taken on several dimensions over the past 24 hours, Jim. Let's start with yesterday. Yesterday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments about a law in Louisiana designed to strengthen standards at Louisiana abortion clinics. Uh, The major provisions are that they have to have uh, clinic standards. In other words, you got to have wide enough hallways to get stretchers through in case there's an emergency and you have to take patients out. Uh, and you also have to have abortion providers with admitting privileges at hospitals. There's more to it, but those are the, the items that uh, get discussed most often. So it's at the Supreme Court now. And of course, the pro-life and the pro-choice sides are out there having their rallies. And uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader, speaks obviously at the pro-choice rally. And as part of this, he decides to put the two most recent Supreme Court justices on notice. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Jim, I listened to that over and over again on Twitter yesterday. I'm like, I, I feel like I've heard something like that before. And I was like, yes, the lead up to WrestleMania five, when Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were about to do battle over their vicious, vicious breakup of the mega powers over Miss Elizabeth. And well, here's Randy Savage. Oh, I got a message for you, Hulk Hogan. All your dreams and all the dreams of your itsy bitsy Hulkamaniacs are going to turn into a nightmare. Doesn't seem that much different now, does it, Jim? So uh, so then uh, Chief Justice John Roberts gets wind of this, and he's not too happy about it. So he releases a statement that says, This morning, Senator Schumer spoke at a rally in front of the Supreme Court while a case was being argued inside. Senator Schumer referred to two members of the court by name and said he wanted to tell them, quote, You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You will not know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Justices know that criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they are dangerous. All members of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. So instead of being chastened by that, Chuck Schumer responds with uh, saying that the political price was really meant for Senate Republicans who put those justices on the court. And then he added that John Roberts interpreting his comments this way, while mum on uh, Trump's attacks on liberal justices, shows that he does not just call balls and strikes, as Roberts famously said in his confirmation hearings. Well, Jim, I listened to the comments again. He was obviously saying, I got a message for you, Gorsuch. I got a message for you, Kavanaugh. So I'm pretty sure they're not in the Senate. So now this morning, Mitch McConnell goes out, as only Mitch McConnell can, and says this. So I would suggest that my Democratic colleagues spend less time trying to threaten impartial judges and more time coming up with ideas that are actually 
constitutional. So then Schumer goes to the floor, uh, talks passionately about about how he defends a woman's right to choose. And then he says, I'm from Brooklyn. We speak in strong language. I shouldn't have used the words I did, but in no way was I making a threat. I never, never would do such a thing. And Leader McConnell knows that. And, of course, he accused the Republicans of manufacturing outrage over the comments, Jim, because as we always know, it's never a Democratic problem. It's the Republican pouncing. That's the real problem. Uh, What do you make of this whole saga? First of all, Greg, I'm really glad you played and you sought out that that WrestleMania quote because it, you know, we're, we're used to remember how all the times I remember I'm also mixing up a bit of Chuck Schumer and Tom Daschle. But there was this tone of, of reproach, this tone of criticism that a Senate majority, that a Senate leader is supposed to do in opposition to a, a president of the other party. Remember, Tom Daschle was always disappointed. Yes. I'm so disappointed in the president's decision to this, you know. And so Mike, you know, Chuck Schumer is always much more, you know, President Trump is wrong to blah, 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 blah. But this, this was, he was ready to tear off the shirt. This was, this was roid rage from, from Chuck Schumer. Uh, and, and so what, what he could have and should have just done is, you know what? I was fired up. I wasn't really thinking about what I was saying. I didn't mean to sound like I was threatening the justices. I don't believe anyone should harm the justices. I believe that this side of the argument is correct and that side of the argument is wrong. And I regret any impression I left that we, anyone would come after the justices for deciding a certain way. That's all you got to do. We, we've all done it. We've all lost our cool. We've all lost our temper. Every, people, I think the American people are actually pretty understanding of things like this. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, every time Trump says something outrageous, people don't get that furious about it. One, because they've kind of gotten used to it. And two, they know you know, Trump isn't actually going to drone strike some politician who he disagrees with. With Schumer, I think that's the other thing. They kind of jumped out because as much as, you know, Schumer can be annoying or whining, he's not usually, you know, threatening and enraged and all that kind of stuff. Like, I got I got swept up in the moment and I said something I should. And yeah, but he can't do that. And of course, you know, like John Roberts himself rebukes him. And his statement was, well, John Roberts is being misled by the right wing. John Roberts knows darn well what he heard. And, of course, Schumer had to go out and say, well, he was talking to Repu- the Republican senators. No, he wasn't. Right? He begins with, you listen here, Justices Gorsuch, then Justice Kavanaugh. There's no doubt about who he's talking to. But that's what it is. Like, we, we now have this. And by the way, if we're going to have this whole argument of how Trump is terrible because he destroys our norms. And by the way, Trump does say a lot of things we're not used to hearing a president say. He does get furious and, and fume and go on Twitter tirades and tantrum. Look, this is all very bad. But if you want to, you know, say the country shouldn't do this and shouldn't accept this, Democrats, don't emulate him. Don't say, well, okay, we're all going to do this and this is the new standard. If you want there to be a higher standard, demonstrate that higher standard. But Chuck Schumer doesn't want to do that. And of course, he's got to say, I don't know, all of you misheard me. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying ears? Amazing. And all over a law that doesn't actually restrict abortion, but make sure that women, uh, if an abortion goes horrifically wrong for the mother, uh, can get to the hospital. It's just weird that that's the issue that got Chuck Schumer all enraged in the first place. Uh, Let's go to coronavirus here for our crazy martini. Sports Illustrated uh, has a new statement from an organization I've never heard of before, Jim. It's called the National College Players Association. They're worried about coronavirus as it is now March, and we know that the madness will soon be upon us in terms of college basketball. Well, here is the message from the NCPA, as it's called. In the wake of the emerging coronavirus pandemic, the NCAA and its colleges should take precautions to protect athletes. They should also make public which actions will be taken and when. Precautions should include canceling all auxiliary events that put players in contact with crowds such as meet and greets, 
and press events. Athletic programs should also take every possible measure to sanitize buses and airplanes used to transport players. In regard to the NCAA's March Madness Tournament and other athletic events, there should be a serious discussion about holding competitions without an audience present. Jim, the thing that makes it March Madness is, in addition to the unpredictability of the tournament and uh, upsets happening and that sort of thing, which is always fun, it's the madness of the fans, the atmosphere in the arena. Obviously, coronavirus is a concern, but the idea of watching this tournament play out with the ball just echoing as players dribble it off the floor sucks the joy out of it, and it certainly doesn't seem like it's warranted, certainly at this stage of the coronavirus concern. It is as if we're going to take away Dick Vitale and replace him with Jim Nance doing golf. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 2020 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, otherwise known as March Sanity. <laughs> He's going to the foul line to take a foul shot, and he sinks the first one. Dribbles a bit to see if he has the next one. Oh, and he misses. NC State takes the rebound. Uh, look, I, I, I suppose this is not out of the realm of possibility. It seems like an extreme... Uh, movement here. You'd hate to think that the entire country would just have to kind of grind to a halt of all kinds of activities. I mean, you know, we already saw the, uh, the new Bond film, No Time to Die, is being pushed back to November uh, under basically the film's title is The Philosophy. Uh, <laughs> this is No Time to Die, either physically or at the box office because nobody wants to come to the movies. Boy, you thought Netflix was popular before. Bad enough the floors are sticky and the teenagers keep talking and the candy's overpriced and all that kind of stuff. Why go to the theater when somebody hacking behind you might be, you know, coughing coronavirus all over the audience? You have a feeling that if we really had to go to this kind of, of you know, uh, drastic step, then the CDC, World Health Organization, everybody was saying, okay, stop doing things. Now, I understand in Italy, they started doing this. In Italy, they, they are now playing soccer with nobody in the stands, you know, otherwise known as, you know, the way soccer is played here in the United States. <laughs> no, no, soccer's fine. I coached youth soccer. Soccer fans, please don't write in. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that, Greg. I think if it is, I think that would be the moment of seeing two teams play uh, an entirely empty arena with no applause, no background noise, just the squeaking of the, uh, of the sneakers and the dribbling of the ball. It would just be a surreal experience. And, and Greg, I'm saying like, so after, you know, let's say you win that game. Does the team celebrate with high fives? <laughs> Where do they eat? Is the hotel. Right? I mean, you can totally get yourself in a panic here. I'm not taking a charge if that guy's sweating. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Please, NCAA. I, you're only interested in money as, I, as far as I can tell anyway. So, <laughs> so do not let this get you down. Don't grow a conscience now. <laughs> You know. Maybe there'll be some uh, cheap tickets, folks. Uh, look on the bright side here. I mean, the odds of you getting it, I think so far in this country, are fairly low. And, you know, if nobody wants to go, um, could be a bargain out there. So uh, look on the bright I'm side. Just and- picture you in the ICU. But the seats were so cheap. <laughs> uh, if you got to go, go with a smile. I, I guess so, man. But uh, at some point, you got to live your life. But. Uh, mm. But that's that's my advice. Anyway, go Spartans. So, uh, Jim, have a great day. 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, leave us a kind review. Also want to let you know that you can get us on those home devices, and I'm not going to say them because apparently on yesterday's show, I mentioned the name of one of them, and it actually triggered the podcast from the home device. But all you have to do is say, play Three Martini Lunch Podcast, and those devices will play them for you. Anyway, hope you have a great day. Join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Thank you.